Real Cuff Radio is about to begin. Everybody loves a hero. I believe there's a hero in all of us. Welcome to Real Cuff Radio. We have got an author, screenplay writer, and also the producer. We're going to talk tonight about one of his novels, which has been turned into a movie that will be coming out soon, and it's called The Reliance. So we have Dr. Johnson on the line. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm excited about this because so far all I've seen is the trailer for it, but you have one of my favorite actors in it, uh, which is Kevin Sorbo. Yeah, uh, it's amazing. It looks like it's an action-packed movie. You know, I used to love Kevin in Hercules Uh when I was younger, and then he had this major transformation if if the audience has never read his book. Uh, my wife says it goes a little bit too much into detail, um, so you definitely don't want to be reading it with your kids. But it yeah, right. it really shows, you know, how his whole life changed, um, you know, because of some major things. But Jesus will uh, do that to you. Yeah, and then I I interviewed Jesse Morrell, and he talked very highly of you. Oh, I like Jesse. Yeah, thank you. And I also interviewed your wife. Elizabeth, which is the activist mommy. That's correct. So, yeah. So, tell us a little bit how how you got into this because I want other uh, producers and directors, you know, and actors, kind of see the vision and how it went along. Well, I've I've written nine novels, and one of the things I discovered about novel writing is a lot of people in our in our culture just don't read much. And it's unfortunate. And, you know, when you go to the mission field, want to serve God, you need to learn to speak the language. And it's unfortunate, but the language that I think is most meaningful in our culture right now is cinema. And so I, I edited a, Matt Twella's book called The Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrates. A story about one of the greatest come-from-behind victories in world history, the story of the siege of Mag- Magdeburg, Germany, when the Roman Empire invaded um, Protestant Germany to subjugate the Protestant Reformation upon the death of Martin Luther. And it was the, it was a siege warfare story where these, uh, the Roman army um, wanted to decimate, you know, all of the believers and, and force them to succumb to uh, unchristian theology. And to make a long story short, uh, the Protestant Reformation won out, and it was just an amazing told Pastor Tuella, you have to uh, tell, you know, rather than just four pages in your 100-page book, you got to tell this story to write it, you know, in, in uh, an exciting novel-type format and get the story out there. And he said, ah, that's not my gifting. You do it. He, he's, he and his kids have read all my, my novels, and they like my stories. And, and uh, he said, better yet, don't, don't just write a book. Write a screenplay, because I have friends in the industry. So I got a book on screenplay writing, and I wrote my first screenplay, When Swords Heal, which Stephen Kendrick has had an opportunity to read the treatment for, on the way to a film festival, we were on the same airplane as Stephen Kendrick, and I, I loved this story so much. And he read it, and we talked at the, at the luggage, uh, San Antonio, Texas, where it was. We met down in the luggage, and he said, you know, that's, a, that's an expensive movie for a first-time filmmaker. Why don't you try something inexpensive first? <laughs> Instead of a $40 million film, you know, try something you can afford. And so that's when I wrote The Reliant. I wrote The Reliant within six weeks of that. And, you know, we early on, we had a budget of $400,000, but it wound up being a $1.2 million film. And we have uh, 
spare no expense in doing everything we can to keep the quality on par with anything Hollywood's going to put out. Yet we were frugal. We were uh, wise stewards of the funds God gave us, and we did not waste money. And so I think you're going to have, and another thing I really love about this story is it's unpredictable. You can't tell what's going to happen next. It's a story about redemption. It's a story about faith in crisis. And it will, uh, there are no potty breaks in this movie. You'll be on the edge of, edge of the seat the whole time. And uh, we're getting word back now from a lot of distributors who've seen the film, the final version of the film, feeling offers from them. And one thing that resonates with each of them, whether they're faith-based producers and, and distributors or secular or both, is that they love this story, that it grabs you and does not let go. And that's what we intended to create. How did you get Kevin Sorbo? On. Well, he uh, he was you know he's expensive because he's a highly ranked actor. He's got one of the he's got the record for cost to profit ratio in a faith based movie, which is God's not dead. And so, you know, he was expensive. He was more than all the other actors put together. And uh, we brought him on um, for less than he normally takes because he loved this story. Of course, you got to get a casting director to contact their agents and and you know pitched the story to them that way, which we did. I was, I was most impressed by the acting of the younger actors and Brian Bosworth. You know, we know him as the Boz, the football star, but he is an amazing actor, an amazing storyteller. But Kevin Sorbo was one, you know, normally when you're filming a scene, you know, you get six, seven takes and you pick the best one. Kevin Sorbo, when you get out on the set, one time you're done. You know, we always film it twice just in case you know, for safety, but he would nail it the first time, every time. And that is something that none of the actors could do it like that. So he's the kind of uh, actor who really needs no direction. Matter of fact, he's directed movies. So he's very good at what he does and he really brought to life his character. So tell us a little bit about the movie. My understanding is it's when the, uh, it's set where the economy is going to collapse. The precipitating crisis is actually the collapse of the dollar, which if you look at the numbers, it's looking uh, pretty harrowing when you consider what our, our government's done to the dollar. So we precipitate, a, the movie starts with the with collapse of the dollar and, and rioting and looting in big cities. And it appears like this family is targeted and uh, the parents uh, are separated from the children. The children flee with what they can carry into the woods. And they're struggling to survive in a strip of woods bordered by lawless anarchy. And through the course of the movie, you discover that it was not a random act of violence that targeted them in this neighborhood. Uh, I won't ruin it for you, but it's a constantly shifting story. The story ends up being about something else entirely. Um, but the chief morals, the moral premise is the question, why do bad things happen to good people? How could a good, all-knowing, all-loving, sovereign God allow things to happen to us that he could prevent with the snap of his fingers, that you would prevent, you know, in your own children, being a loving father, and yet he does not prevent these things. This, I'm rather disenfranchised with Christianity's answer to this moral dilemma, and I, I intended to create a story that would show, not tell, and that's the challenge of, of cinema, is you don't want to just be preachy. This is not a preachy movie, but it has strong moral principles and a strong message of redemption through Jesus Christ. And we also address the issue of the right to keep and bear arms and, and how that is compatible with the Christian faith. And, and we show not tell that as well. 
but you'll find uh, at the end that love wins out and Jesus name is lifted up. That's what it's all about. Well, I'm looking forward to it. And you said you, you're right now you're looking for how it's going to be distributed, but, um, mm-hmm. I, you know, I definitely will attach on the end of our show, the, you know, the preview so they can at least see that. Appreciate but, it. uh, what would you say to any of these, you know, we've got a lot of directors and producers and actors that listen and, and what advice would you give them? Uh, you've already kind of given what you were given so that, mm-hmm. you know, that's really mm-hmm. a good one. Uh, don't start with something huge. You know? Well, we, we reached a point in the story, whatever God's called you to do, you got to be sure that God's called you to do it. You got to be seeking his face. The Bible says, uh, that uh, he will give you what you ask for, but there's certain conditions to answer prayer. You know, having a pure heart, First John 3, keeping his commandments. Mark 11, believing that those things you're asking for are coming to pass. You can't pray with doubt. The Bible says we won't get it if we won't pray with doubt. And, um, and not, not to ask amiss, but just to consume it upon our lust. But, but to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And so we sought his face, the best way to tell a story that could impact the culture, and could um, lift up the name of Jesus, and we wanted to, to do it in cinematic format. And early on, you know, we we were going to – our first budget was like $150,000 using my kids, right? And then, um, you know, we brought Sobro on. There was constant loops of faith, okay? If this is a Sobro movie, this is Screen Actors Guild. Screen Actors Guild movie, uh, that's the Hollywood Union. you got to pay him more money. I mean, you got to pay a stuntman. For a fall, you have to pay him 800 and something bucks, they, they regulate how much you have to pay everybody, every crew member, every actor. And so it's much more expensive, as you can imagine. But you get actors with name recognition, which gives you a good opportunity for a broad theatrical release. And so we saw God's face. We got on our knees, and we realized, man, a higher sorbo, we were going to need $250,000 more. This was early on. We didn't even have that much in our bank account, and he was going to consume all of it. So we needed to make sure we were hearing God. So Paul Munger, the director, and I, he got on his knees where he lives in Raleigh and me in Ohio, and we prayed and said, God, we don't feel inclined to cut anything else out of this story. You know, we were getting pressure to cut the 30 stunts from the 20 scenes, and we felt inclined that this is a story God's given us. We're going to trust him to provide for it. So we got our knees and said, Lord, we need $250,000 to uh, tell this story and, and keep the quality high, and we need it. We're going to ask it for you. We're going to believe you for it. And we prayed in short prayer. I said, let's pray again tonight when the kids are in bed. And he has, the director has 11 kids. I have 10. We have a house full of kids between the two of us. And uh, even before we uh, got together that night to pray a little bit longer, I got an email from the uh, president of the U.S. Concealed Carry Association. He read the script. We were, we were pitching it to him as an opportunity to teach the moral principles of the right to keep and bear arms in a winsome action movie as opposed to you know documentaries which just preach to the choir and he loved the story he loved the idea and he invested exactly what we needed and um that happened uh, later on too when we had eric roberts interested in the story he came in and acted for us for a day he is um he is the uh, gun store manager in a in the beginning of the riot scene which takes place at a gun store and we brought him in for the day, but we were short on funds. So we were going to just have to scrap him and use somebody else. But we took the Lord in prayer, and um, one of the investors stepped forward and just paid the whole thing. And so 
what I would speak to people who God has given them a job that they feel is bigger than them. I would say to you, you're in good company because that's the way Moses felt and Gideon felt. And when Peter was stepping out of the boat, that's what he felt like too. But the small mountain and the big mountain are equally easy to move for God. What we need to have is faith. And we need to trust in him, not despair when he tests our faith. And we need to believe that those things we're asking for will come to pass. Because Jesus said, according to your faith, so be it unto you. You know, you get what you believe God for sometimes. And we believe for small things, that's all we're going to get. But if you want to do great things for God, you need to be willing to step outside the box. You need to be willing to endure the attack the enemy is going to give you because it will be vicious. And you need to keep Jesus first in everything, and you will be stunned to see what he will do through you. Now, Eric Roberts, that's Julia Roberts' brother, correct? Yes, yes. He, uh, he does a lot of movies. Yeah, he's done some pretty famous movies like Goodfellas back in the 80s, but uh, he's an amazing actor. Okay, how was it working with him? He is not sold on our Christian worldview. I'll just put it that way. But he's doing a lot of, uh, of faith-based movies right now. Uh, he enjoys working with us. But he doesn't share our worldview. So, um, um, but most everybody else on our cast and crew are Christians. We had several unbelievers there. One of them became a Christian during the course of the filming, which was neat. As a matter of fact, there's a baptism that takes place in the movie, and that is the actor's true baptism. David and Jason Benham, who were best-selling entrepreneurs and best-selling authors, um, they heroes in the movie. And uh, they got to baptize one of the actors. We got on the film and put it in the movie. So that was a really neat, really neat experience to see somebody's life change through faith in Christ. Well, I just realized when you said Benham, that their father is the one uh, that with Roe versus Wade and all that. He baptized the Norma McCorvey of Roe versus Wade, which was the John, the Jane Doe, or the, the Jane yeah. Roe of Roe versus Wade. Yeah, he led her to Christ, baptized her. He. We met Flip Benham through um, Operation Save America, which is like an annual event my wife and kids do every year. It's a week of ministry. Kind of, they kind of pick a different city the same week in July every year, and we go and minister and preach, pass out tracts, and have revival services. And we went minister breathing. It's a great week of ministry and, and uh, good fellowship. But through Flip, we came to know his, his sons, who are great authors and men of God in their own right. And uh, we. You know, they, he was in um, War Room, which Alex and Stephen Kendrick produced, made $86 million or so last year. But they only had a brief role in War Room. And so when I learned that, especially when I learned they had a major role, and Sony came in and, uh, you know, demanded the Kendricks change a few things. One of the things they wanted to change is to take the Benhams out of the movie. The Benhams engendered some controversy because they took a stand against same-sex marriage on behalf of, of natural marriage. And so the LGBT agenda attacked them and had their HGTV show canceled because the Benhams had an HGTV, HGTV show that was about to be aired. They'd already filmed six episodes. And so they got their show canceled and they lost this big contract with HGTV. Um, and, and God has used them, uh, I think, the whole year after that. They traveled with Ted Cruz and his presidential campaign and and they now um, speak regularly for Family Research Council, and and uh, you know they're they're among the who's who's of Christian powerhouse. Um, but yeah, we got to meet them through their dad, and and uh, they're they're godly men and good friends. Well, I was supposed to interview Flip, and I that was right when all that controversy really started, 
and we never did actually do our interview. We talked on the phone a couple of times because he's also very good friends of uh, Marsha Kendall and John Kendall, who John would take his place anytime he got put in jail for <laughs> protesting. And um, <laughs> anyway, so, yeah, you know, it, it really is a small world. Well, you know, uh, speaking of protesting and getting put in jail for it, um, are you talking about in the rescue days when they were uh, blockading abortion clinic doors? Correct. Uh, I just I just concluded my 10th book. It's called She Looks Like My Little Girl. It's the story of Eva Adel. Eva Adel is an 82-year-old lady now, and she's been arrested like 46 times blockading abortion clinic doors. She was a concentration camp survivor in communist Yugoslavia put in uh, one of Stalin's death camps because she was of German descent. And so uh, that, I'm so excited about that story because of the attention it draws to the deep personhood, uh, or I should say the legalization of the wholesale slaughter of unborn children in the womb, and Eva Adel as a hero um, to defend them. But I'm excited about uh, what it brings, the light it shines upon the rescue movement opportunity it took in the 80s and 90s to really turn the tide. We came real close to ending abortion there in Wichita, at least at the local level. And so we got a lot to learn from that movement. Well, and she's still alive today? Oh, yeah. She's a stalwart, godly woman. She's amazing. Wow. would love to interview her. You know, I, mm-hmm. I do a thing, an abortion thing called, uh, oh, I can't think of the name right now. But anyway, so we, we put a lot of abortion things up on it, and, and it's through Facebook. And it, it's really hard to find good material stuff out mm-hmm. there to keep kind of feeding these people so they have stuff to help them back them up. Exactly, you know, yeah, they really is. And uh, all, I know what it's called. It's called Armor Bearer for the Unborn. Hmm. And so we've, we've been doing that for quite a while, but we're always looking for cases. And, and we've actually we've actually just did a, a show with a lady who was aborted. And, wow. Uh, just just an incredible testimony, and of, especially of forgiveness. My first RU486 uh, abortion pill patient is a patient who takes the first of two medicines to kill her unborn child, and she changed her mind afterwards, and she'd already started cramping, but we got the injections and reversed it, which is pretty exciting. That, that um, procedure was pioneered by a friend of mine, Matt Harrison, a physician in Charlotte, North Carolina. It's exciting to be able to save a life like that. Yeah, it sounds like you've got your fingers in a lot of different things. So, <laughs> yeah, you sound like my agent. You know, one of the well, problems with being an author is is I've written four different genres. So they're like, how do we how do we pitch you to publishers? Is because you know I have written a children's novel, and I've written three contemporary novels. I've written two Amish fiction novels, a thriller, and now another contemporary fiction novel. And then I just finished my first biography. I, I hate to I hate to limit myself to uh, just one genre, I told the agent, once I have my first New York Times bestseller, I'll just write those from now on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we, do a lot of, we do a lot of interviews for Tyndale, and uh, we actually we just finished interviewing Ted Decker's um, daughter, who wow. you know, has written her... Uh, actually, I don't think this is her first novel, but, but she just had a novel come out, so... That'd be great. Get a Tyndale contract one day. That'd be great. Yeah, because uh, I, we've really enjoyed a lot of their a lot of their books that have come through, and a lot of the interviews we've done with them. Mm-hmm. Um, because most of the stuff that most of the interviews they have are just written type interviews, and so 
it's been kind of nice to, to put either an author or, you know, uh, maybe one of the actors from one of them that was turned into a movie or something like that, you know, mm-hmm. so you kind of get a face along with it, but well, I don't want to keep you too long. Um, thank you. Thank you for your time. Let me just tell your, um, listeners, they can check out the trailer for the movie, the Reliant at the Reliant movie.com. And they can also purchase the book there or on Amazon. All right. And I will definitely have that added to the end, but I want to thank you, Dr. Johnson for coming on and, and, um, I look forward, hopefully maybe we can interview before the movie releases, uh, Kevin Serbo because, uh, he would probably be a great interview. Oh, he'd love that. He's, he's something else. That, that, that sounds great. We'll be in touch, brother. Thank you, sir. Take care. Bye. That's a wrap.